All right. So when I when when Charles first told me that we were going to be doing lamentations um, during the Advent season, I got kind of excited, uh, and I thought it was a great idea because lament is not really something that the American Church does. And I, I really love rediscovering these forgotten practices. Um, and part of that is because, you know, lament isn't really part of our religion. Now, if you're like me, you were raised what I would call American Christian. That's like basic Christianity with a little bit of American exceptionalism thrown in. Americans love... Winning. We love winners. Everything we have, we have because we won. Well, I mean, like the Native Americans might say we stole this land at least. But, like, we won, so we get to tell the story that we want to tell. Um, but it's not just like the secular world, right? We do it in our churches, too. We only want to hear from the missionaries that are successful. We want to hear from the ones that are baptizing lots of people. We want the ones that are planning really strong churches that need large buildings because there's just so much activity going on there. We like to have people come and share their personal stories and hear their journeys and, and their sorrows, and that's part of it. But really, it needs to wrap up into a happy ending. Otherwise, like, what's the point of you sharing this? Because how, what can we learn from that? Like, we want, we, want to, we want to get something out of it so that we can help ourselves out. God, we are so selfish. And we don't know how to lament. So, if an American church studies lamentations, typically, what we do is we treat it as if it's a warning for us. Right? Look and see what happened to poor Israel. Boy, they really screwed things up. Let's not make the same mistakes that they did, because we don't want to end up like that. Now, that reading of Scripture is kind of problematic, because that puts us in the place of the Jews, um, and it sets the United States up as like some sort of new Israel, which is just isn't right. And so as I was digging into this and looking at Lamentations and thinking through this, I got kind of uncomfortable with the idea. Like, should we even as these victorious white Americans be digging into lament? Back in February, we had a conversation here about how to read the Bible if you're a white person. And in that conversation, I suggested that the Bible was written for an oppressed people. And as white people, as a white guy, that's not us. And when we read scripture and we put ourselves into the story without being aware of our context and acknowledging our privilege, we risk misinterpreting scripture and dishonoring those that are actually being oppressed. And so the idea of lament and lamentations, like, that gets right at the center of this. This is like, if you want to say, what is the one thing in the Bible that's really blatantly directed at the oppressed? That's lamentations. And so we need to be very, very 
careful and deliberate about how we proceed here? Is it right for us to participate and lament? To read ourselves into lamentations? Well, I think it is. And the more I've gotten into this, I, I not only think it's, it's good for us to do, I think it's necessary for us to do. Because like I said before, it hasn't been part of our practice. It hasn't been part of our, at least mine. Um, and I think it's, it's hurt us. So, but let's be careful. Where do we fit into this story? Okay. Let me help you out here. So, um, Lamentations takes place right after the fall of Jerusalem. So Babylon has come. They've destroyed like everything that they can. Right? They, they even they, they burned all the crops. They threw salt on the ground, which apparently makes it so that you can't grow stuff. Um, they destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple. They, like, of the healthy and powerful and um, um, important people, the ones that they kept alive, they took away. So all that's left are the poor the old, um, and these smoldering ruins. That's the context. Where do we fit into this story? Well, let me point out a couple of things about us. We have a very powerful military. We control lots of wealth. Our ancestors were conquerors. They kind of came into this land, destroyed some things, killed some people, took some stuff, yeah, in the story of the exile, we're Babylon. So, how does Babylon participate in lamenting the fall of Jerusalem? Can we do it? I think we can. And here's how we do it, I think. First, we have to show up. In, in this story, Babylon did what they did, and then they left. They went back home, and Jerusalem was left all alone with no one to comfort, no one to mourn with her. Lamentations chapter 1 is uh, a funeral dirge. It's a sad song that you sing at a funeral. So, that means that we're having a funeral for Jerusalem right now. And the mourners, the people that that have lost, should not have to be alone. She cries out several times in this passage about how there's no one there to comfort. They're all alone. And so, simply being there with somebody that is mourning, with somebody that is grieving, even if we didn't experience it, even if it's not our grief, showing up and being there. I don't know. What do you think? What does this look like practically? Like, how do we, how do we show up for somebody that is in mourning? Hmm? Um. It's, it's a huge temptation for, I think, most of us to um, 
to interject into the conversation about how we can sympathize with them. And then you tell a story about how I experienced a similar thing. But um, actually, we're easing our discomfort and talking about ourselves mm-hmm. <laughs> so that uh, so that we've distracted from the grief that's literally taking place in that moment. So I think um, the challenge is to resist the temptation um, to turn the tide and change the story and make it about us um, and to really sit with somebody uh, in their loss and their grief. That's good. Thank you. I think acknowledge, like speaking to them about it, acknowledging it is so important. Um, mm-hmm. There's a really great book called Option B by Cheryl Sandberg about walking with people who are grieving. And I think one of the best things I read that she said in it is when people don't want to acknowledge other people's grief or suffering, and a lot of times it's because they're afraid they're reminding them of it. Like they're mm-hmm. they are going to make them start thinking mm-hmm. about it. And she says something really great you can't remind someone who's grieving that they're grieving. Like they're already thinking about it. Yeah. All you can do is show them that you're standing in it with them. Like that saying that person's name, whoever they're grieving to them, telling them stories about them, like asking them about them, like being, and even if you make them upset, <coughs> like know that that's at least in my experience less upsetting than nobody acknowledging it to you or feeling like you're alone in it for sure. That's good, thank you. I think presence, just being there, mm-hmm. is very important. Um, think of Joe and thinking of his friends. It's saying that they just sat with him inside. Yeah. And there's a quote that says, words aren't remembered, but presence is. Mm-hmm. And I think back on times in my life, really low times, and I remember the people that were there and were with me more than what they said to me. Um, in a lot of times, in a lot of instances. So I think just being with that person, even if it is a little awkward, <laughs> just sitting there with them and, and letting them know. And that lets them know that you care. Because mm-hmm. you're giving them your time you know what they're going through. You don't always have to say something sometimes that can make it worse. That's good, thanks. Um, there's a thing called ring theory. Um, and it's like the ring for the tree. And a person who is going through the grief is closest to the grief, um, ground zero. Mm-hmm. He's in the center of the tree, and then you've got family and friends and acquaintances. And the, the idea is that people in the center can dump out the people in the other outside circle can't jump in. So, because I know a lot of times, and this goes along with what Jen was saying, a lot of times people want to, you know, relate to them and, and tell them stories and stuff. And I know in my experiences, um, and it's also part of my personality, and it just is, I tend to, when I'm going through my grief, I end up counseling other people what they're going through. Because they, you know, they're like, oh, I need to release, and, mm-hmm. you know, and it can be very draining um, for for me to counsel while I'm grieving. So, yeah, going along with what he said as well, just this whole being silent and listening to somebody jump out is so That's very good. That's wonderful. Thank you all. So... so Oh, you know, good. Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, when I think 
the top of the theological statements because that's what you're talking about with Lamentation. Like, well, they sure deserve that. And we need to make judgments on whether like people are allowed to grieve and when they're allowed to grieve over and how long they should grieve. Mm-hmm. And I was reading about disenfranchised grief and obviously we have enfranchised grief, you know, acceptable, understandable grief, and then we have grief that just kind of floats out there we have a tendency to want to judge what someone can agree, and I think that comes again from discomfort and saying, well, you're allowed to do this, and it happens to me, I'll be allowed to do this. But it's like the way of containing it. Yeah. And controlling it. And I think we tend to do that before we allow people to agree. We decide if they are allowed to agree. That's good. That's a good point. Thank you. All right. So we show up, but secondly, um, if we're going to enter into lament, we need to own up to our role in causing the suffering. This could be awkward. You're at the funeral of a person that you murdered. And it's not a secret that you did it. If we're going to mourn with the oppressed, We have to acknowledge our role as an oppressor. And instead of expounding on that, I'm going to do the lazy thing and ask you to tell me what you think this looks like. (laughs) Like when you know you've caused grief, when you've done that, what, how do you do that? It's a lot of work. Hmm? Uh, but you have to be able to absorb it and keep listening 
and stay curious and go to the next thing mm -hmm. and keep trying to understand. That's good. Yeah. Um, I, something that I've really have learned a lot lately is the power of prayer. Um, like when it's not like after like screwing up a lot and like being in a position where you cause a lot of pain towards someone else and it's not like appropriate time or um, the right place to to you know be there for that person and say hey I know I screwed up but I'm here to listen to you and like um, offer my condolences and say I'm sorry um, but like spending that time in prayer being alone and just like talking to God and saying hey I know I screwed up big time I know I caused a lot of um, hard times for these people and this is this is my true self I'm pouring my heart out to you um, and hope that God can um, in return um, give that person peace and say you were blessed no matter what that's good that's good so and this has already been said a few people, but the next thing to do. Oh, did you, were you raising your hand? Are you stretching? Okay. Um, this has already been. This has already been. Yeah, said by a few people, but um, we need to show up. We need to own up to our role in this, and then we need to shut up, and we need to listen. And I said this before, we don't like to listen to the stories of pain and frustration and failure. And not just because it's uncomfortable, but because it's unproductive. It feels like a waste of time. We want to listen to successful people and we want to learn from them. And if we have to listen to a sad story, like we tend to want to listen with the intent to help. We want to, like, to cheer them up, to, direct, to say the right thing, to kind of get them back, um, back, to, back to a right place. We want things to be happy. <laughs> but we need to shut up and we need to listen. Uh, in Lamentations, there's two different speakers. Um, one is the narrator. That's probably Jeremiah. Um, the other one is Jerusalem, personified. And Jerusalem is portrayed as a woman. And, in fact... Not only is Jerusalem portrayed as a woman, um, but her plight is described in words that sound like sexual assault. Listen to this from chapter 1. All who honored her despised her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. The enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her Sanctuary. I think that speaks to us in this society today. We as a society don't listen to women. Now, I think we're starting to do that. I think we're getting better at that. But there's still a long way to go. How long have women, women been victims of abuse and oppression with men at best just being oblivious to it? We need to shut up and listen to the voices that have historically been silenced. This includes women. This includes people of color. This includes immigrants. This includes widows. 
This includes anyone suffering or grieving. We need to hear the stories of oppression, not so we can fix them, not so we can learn from them, so we can join with them and mourn with them. So once again, what does this look like practically?
we're just going to have to like kind of journey together and say like this doesn't feel right. This is like let's go this direction now. Um, and I think that's frustrating. I think especially frustrating for I was going to say part of this I think is that as people of privilege like we're used to just like okay if we have a problem like roll up your sleeves and fix it. Mm-hmm. And like when I am around marginalized people like sometimes like they're really good at lament because like there's nothing they can do to fix it. Um, and so I think like for me it's part partially it's been learning like maybe there's not a fix to this or like not right now or it's gonna take a long time or it's gonna be really hard. Um, but yeah, I keep trying to like squash down that temptation to say, like, well let's just find a solution to it. Because mm-hmm. sometimes there's not. I'm a 15 of this long thing. I think that um, for me, from our earth, maybe outside of here, I uh, want to identify the difference between uh, someone saying somebody brought something on this when they're saying, like, I was at this recent story, saying somebody brought something on themselves and saying, not, not even like that right. Saying somebody wasn't perfect mm-hmm. and getting what they deserve. Because mm-hmm. like we look at the story of Jerusalem, Jerusalem was like why was they for God? But I don't want to equate that with they got what they deserve. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because then we have a tendency, I think, when we're in a position of power to look at people who are suffering or marginalized and say, well, they should have done this differently. And then these things wouldn't happen. And maybe there is some truth to that, although there's so many variables at play that you can even really take that to the mat and say, well, that's because there's imperfect humans involved, and we can't use that as an excuse to say, you're getting what you deserve. Like the Radica, well, immigrants should bring their children to the U.S. because they should know that this is what's going to happen. They're asking for this to happen. You know, that kind of language mm-hmm. is like, you know, people shouldn't break laws because they, you know, just so many things. It's like we have to put, when we put them in that inferior position, especially a lot of times that has been in our doing, and we say, well, Jerusalem did this, or had this coming, or this person should have done this differently, that that happened because of those choices, and in fact, they're getting what they deserve. Like, that's the statement of someone in a position of power. And we have to separate, like, human, you know, fallibility from. You can look at a situation. You can say, "Well, they deserve that's justice." Then, like we have justice out here, and you're right. I have no responsibility then. Um, but if it's not just, if it's unjust, then what was my role in setting that up? Okay. Um, all right. We have to show up. We have to own up. We have to shut up. Um, 
And I want to end on the ha- happiest note that I can get out of Lamentations chapter 1 because I am, like I said at the beginning, an American Christian. Um, our lament is a path that does lead us toward God. Now, we want my, our impulse is to ignore suffering and go straight to happy praise. Like, let's just kind of, okay, it's sad over here. Let's minimize that. Let's skip over that. Let's go on to something else. We have to stop doing that. It will, lament, can lead us to praise, but it's a long process. And so I want to read for you how chapter one of Lamentation ends. And I want you to try to listen for the hope in it. Because it's in there. Take account, eternal one, of me. How miserable I am. My belly growls and turns. My heart is wrung out like a rag. My faults and failings are to blame because I have been rebellious. Death is everywhere in the homes. The sword makes women childless in the streets. Uncaring, with no compassion for others, they know how badly I suffer. Oh, how alone I am. My enemies gloat, and you have brought about my misery. So happy to know I'm in pain. But you, O God, will make them as bad off as I. Vindicate me and judge their evil actions. And make them suffer as you've made me suffer for all my wrongdoings. I'm a wreck and I groan with a faint heart. Now that's pretty dark. But it's there if you look for it. There's an undercurrent of hope. A small step of faith toward God. It says God, if he's out there and if he truly cares about injustice, he is going to do something about this situation. He has to, right? Because right now, that's the only thing we have to hold on to. Let's pray. God, we look around the world and we see so many horrible things. We see people crying out, God, and it makes us uncomfortable because we know that we're part of the problem. Teach us how to lament. Teach us how to join with other people and how to share their grief and how to mourn with them and how to cry out to you. God, help us to slow down and not skip over this, but to sit in grief, in mourning, together and cry out to you for you to do something about it. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.